This episode of the Porter Nuts podcast is sponsored by Sheila Trago Baby Quip. Leave the bulky baby gear at home. Traveling with a baby means packing a lot of stuff. Now, instead of lugging everything from home, you can rent clean and safe baby gear essentials at your destination and have them delivered before you arrive. If you are planning to travel to Southwest Florida, go to babyquip.com slash Sheila473. That is S-H-I-E-L-A-473. And Sheila Trago will be able to provide you with the baby gear you need. Not traveling, but instead expecting a houseful? No worries. We've got you covered. Choose from cribs, car seats, strollers, toys, and so much more. Proudly serving Collier and Lee Counties. Go to babyquip.com slash Sheila, S-H-I-E-L-A, 473 to find out more. Okay, let's get started. We've been tootling around here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, those of you who connect with us on social media, you've seen some of the things we've been up to, places we've gone to, travels and things of that nature. Nothing really big or elaborate. Uh, we're still getting our feet planted on the ground here. And, of course, we're doing the best we can getting through the, the summer. Summer in Florida is very interesting. A lot of rain. A lot of rain down here. More rain than we thought there would be. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. We, we, I guess we just didn't know how much rain there would be. We had no idea. Uh, we were down here the end of August, early September. We saw a fair amount of rain last year at that time, but we didn't know that that rain actually starts like in April and just every single day. So it rains a little bit every day. Sometimes it rains an hour. Sometimes it rains three hours. Sometimes it only rains about 20 minutes, but it's usually... Just enough to mess up whatever plans you've got going on. So that's something that, uh, that has been interesting to us. Today's episode, I want to get to that. Some housekeeping quickly. Please contact us any way that you can. We'd love to hear from you. So porternotes.com is the hub for everything as far as all of our different ventures that we have going on. Of course, you can always go to that. But also, too, you can just send us an email, uh, porternotes at gmail.com or kettleandcup at gmail.com if you want to go old school. We can do that, too. Uh, it's great to hear from you. We, we really love it. Now, as you know, we, we are busy folks. We do always try to make time to chat with everybody. And so please send us something. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear... Uh, your thoughts on on episodes, podcast episodes, other than when's the next one? <laughs> we're 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 gonna do our best to try and get more content out quicker. So today's episode is very interesting to me. It was it was quite a quite a a great time actually. I talked to Jim Miller, and Jim and his wife Magdalena are the founders of Jim Mayer Wellness Counseling Center, 
and they have all kinds of services that they offer for people. One of the major things that they offer is DUI services. So in some states, I think a lot of them now, I know Illinois is one of them, they require that you have an assessment and you actually sit down with a counselor and they talk to you about the DUI that you had received and they just want to make sure that you're able to get back behind the wheel and not cause a problem out there. And that's one of the services that they offer. A lot of what we talk about is drug and alcohol counseling, but we do talk about something that he's he's got an interest in, and he's I believe that Jim is going to expand into this a little bit, and that is it's not grief counseling, but it's actually death counseling. That's about the best way that I can describe it, and I think that it's it's a very unique viewpoint on things. I'm not going to let all of the cat out of the bag here, but you think that as you get older, or at least I thought as I got older, that I'd start to maybe come to terms with the end because the end, well, the end could happen anytime. But of course, as you get older, you feel like the end is closer to you. But I think it's still for many people and aspects of it for myself, too. It's kind of a scary thing. Some of that, I think, comes from what your spirituality is and how comfortable you are with that sort of thing. Well, we talk about that in a little bit more detail. I found that to be rather interesting. He's he's just starting to dip his toe into that water, and I think that he's feeling around in terms of who out there may need some sort of counseling or who would like to talk about that sort of thing. I, I think that, that that in itself is pretty interesting. We talk a lot about the the older days. Uh, many of you know I grew up in Chicago, of course, I say that all the time, every episode, so most of you know that. If you've listened to more than one episode, you know that, but not many of you know that I actually went to a parochial grade school, Uh, parochial for those who don't know, uh, that's a Catholic grade school, and part of that was, of course, church and religion classes and things of that nature, so I went to church every week, at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week, and as an altar boy, which I was an altar boy for, I think the earliest you can become an altar boy was fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade. I was an altar boy from then on. I never missed it. I never missed a year. Uh, There were times I did miss it just based on, you know, not feeling well or I didn't get up in time (laughs) to go. Not much has changed. (laughs) Not much has changed. But ultimately, it was an interesting way to see the the behind-the-scenes of church services. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking in terms of Catholic school, altar boy, all of that sort of thing. And just let me state this for the record before it gets too far. My experience growing up as a kid in Catholic school and going to church and being an altar boy and being around the clergy was a very good and fundamentally it was a, it was a strengthening experience for me it really was a very good experience and there are many people who maybe have had a different experience and my heart goes out to them because as we discuss in this interview growing up as a child and feeling safe is a fundamental building block into who we are so my heart goes out to those who who didn't have the same experience. I had a wonderful experience, I think, very fondly of those years, and it's really important 
for me to address that early on. So this is a conversation between me and Jim Miller. A really wonderful walk down memory lane, but just it's it's such a strange dynamic to be an adult and talk to somebody who is at that peer level now. I mean, maybe that says a little bit much for me to 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 assume that, but this is two adults talking about times when we were younger. I was much younger then. <laughs> I'm older than that now. I really enjoyed it. So without further ado, oh, and don't forget, we're going to have a wrap-up at the end of this one. Lori and I talk a, a bit about a couple of different topics. Uh, it's a good time, too. So without further ado, here is my interview with Jim Miller of Jim Mare Wellness Counseling Center. Is that a is that a a, a screenshot behind a, you? Oh, it's a poster. It's a painting. <laughs> it's a poster. Yeah, a poster. Nice. <laughs> so makes it look like I'm on the beach or something. Yeah, that's very inviting. <laughs> Although it's it's from 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 the light levels that I have here, it looks a little gray. So it's almost like it's nice to be on the beach, but you pick the rainy day. Yeah. <laughs> sunny out here so where are you at now you're in a suburb of chicago yes cicero the office is in cicero i live in berwin it's okay. just just west of the city mm-hmm. uh, we live at 26th street and uh the cross street is harvey which is just but uh just beyond the division between cicero and berwin there's a blues club that i've gone to out there called the harlem avenue um no, the Harlem Lounge. That's it. It's the Harlem Lounge. And uh-huh. it's a very nondescript um, cinder block building, uh, not exactly at an intersection. And it's uh, extremely difficult to get in and out of the driveway there, which makes it even more enticing. <laughs> and I, I watched a, a group from Indiana play there. And it was, it was a good night. I was there with my cousin and her husband. Lounge on Harlem? It's it's called I it's called the Harlem the Harlem Lounge is what it's called. It's just outside of Berwyn. Okay. I I couldn't I couldn't direct you there because I've I've lived I've lived away from the city long enough that if it wasn't something that I was at on a regular basis I just don't know anymore. Right. My parents still watch Chicago news and they they're still up on on the intersections and the hundreds of the different streets and I, I I've I've since forgotten which is probably good. Where do your parents live? Uh, they live here in Florida with me now. Oh, okay. Nice. Sometime around um, 2000 and, uh, 2019, 2018, 2019, uh, they, they moved in with me. It's a, a bit of a comedy of errors, but their, their house was one of the oldest homes in the little town that we were in in Wisconsin. And not only as they were in getting into their 70s, they had a hard time keeping up with uh, the extraneous things like mowing the lawn and shoveling the snow. But then uh, on top of that is the everyday upkeep of a hundred plus year old home, which was a challenge for them. So at the time that uh-huh. they started to see some real uh, needs 
for the home, mm-hmm. uh, it was just uh, far easier to have them live with uh, my wife and I. And my sister actually was living with us at the time. So, um, and well, she still is. And so uh, we, we have a multi-generational home right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it used to be far more common when I was it's younger. Got some pressure, but, uh, but it's also a nice, nice to be close. Yeah, it, it is. It is nice to be close and also to, uh, you know, but not too close. You just got to make sure you have the square footage to allow for it. <laughs> right. Before we get uh, too far into the weeds, and I, I will apologize if I end up doing doing just that. I'm, what I what I'm making a conscious decision to do here in our in our chat is I want to I want to stray from multiplicity. And by that, I mean to say it would be very easy for me to to hide behind uh you know, some, some more plural pronouns like, uh, you know, we as a group or, or many of us, that sort of thing. And, and, you know, of course I'm going to speak directly about, uh, some incidents in terms of, of growing up and, and how we've come to know each other. And I think that, uh, it would be disingenuous to do that sort of thing. So I'm going to try and, and, and be a little bit more, uh, specific about some things in terms of, um, if we could, let's, let's, to those who are out there who will be listening when this posts, um, we came to know each other uh, in the, gosh, late 70s, probably. When, it was probably during the 80s. Okay. When when were you actually uh, commissioned or when were you working at uh, St. Sylvester's Parish then? When was your first year? It started the 1st of January of 1980. Okay. I had thought that it was earlier than that. Um, but you know, as you get older, you, you kind of, those things kind of slip into the ether. So it was 1980. How old of a man were you then? If I, if you don't mind me asking. I was 37 and a half. I turned 38 that summer. How interesting. And it's my understanding that you made a conscious decision to work with uh, Latino culture. Is that correct? Correct. I was always interested in language. I was always interested in uh, people from different places. My first assignment was t- to a German-speaking area in uh, north side of Chicago, south north center, uh, around Lincoln and Irving. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of German immigrants there, and also some Irish immigrants. Hmm. And I became a lot more conscious of the immigrant uh needs and and challenges and as i as years continued i noticed more and more hispanics coming in and even at saint even at saint benedict's on irving park road uh, i began to meet hispanic families but then i moved uh, my next assignment was in bridgeport around uh, uh, canal and archer that area and uh, not only were there Italian immigrants there, but even more uh, Hispanics. So uh, I had the opportunity, I was close to uh, the site where uh, Spanish classes were offered, and I started to uh, attend those classes and started to learn the grammar and some of the vocabulary. And I had an opportunity to, uh, to go to Mexico for five weeks and be immersed in the language and the culture. And after coming back from there, it, it kind of continued to grow. So that was around 75, 
And I, I went to St. Anthony Hospital for a couple of years as a chaplain. Did a lot of translating there, the emergency room, different uh, medical situations. And uh, then the opportunity came up to, to uh, be assigned to St. Sylvester's. So by the time that happened, you were pretty fluent with, with the Spanish language. I was fairly fluent. I wouldn't say very fluent. I, uh, I had progressed a lot in those three or four years. But uh, I still had a lot to learn. And, and mostly my experience before that was with Mexican people. Uh, St. Sylvester's, the primary uh, group of people that were, that were really involved in the parish were Puerto Rican. And uh, there was a significant uh, number of, of Mexicans, but mainly Puerto Ricans. And, and sometimes people think that everybody who speaks Spanish is the same. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, among those who speak Spanish and among uh, Latino Americans, uh, there are a great variety of, of uh, nationalities. You know, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, Cubans, uh, South Americans, Ecuador, Peru. Every every country is is somewhat different. They have different customs, different uh, you know, different ways of communicating, mm-hmm. uh, different different words. Sometimes you use a word that uh, is commonly used in one place, and it might be uh, not so acceptable in another place. <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine the garb and, and the collar allowed for a little bit of grace in that, though, huh? You have to be on your toes. <laughs> it's funny because uh, in, in 1987 was when we moved to Wisconsin, and... Um, for a lot of people and then of course now we're, we're in florida and and um it, it's a it's it's more multicultural here than it was in wisconsin over the years that we had lived there and so for people who who don't have that experience it's almost a sad thing in in some ways because there there's so many things that enrich a culture by having that sort of uh you know that that melting pot in 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 that area Mm-hmm. Yeah, Saint Sylvester's was a is a wonderful, uh, you know, example of, of mixing a lot of different cultures. And uh, during the '80s and toward the later part of the '80s, uh, we started to get the influx of, uh, you know, Americans that uh, you know, as we called them in the day, uh, the yuppies, <laughs> the young, the young urban professionals. Mm-hmm. And that presented a lot of challenges, as well as a lot of opportunities to the area. Well, my neighborhood has definitely been uh, gentrified. There's no doubt about it. I I had spent a number of years in Wisconsin where I didn't visit Chicago for any other reason except for just the, the timing didn't work out. And I, I went back to the, the neighborhood to see if my, my home was still standing, which it still is, actually, surprisingly enough. And um, home prices... And really, you're not buying the house in particular, you know, the house I grew up in, but they're out, they're outrageous. They're astronomical. And it was. Oh, yeah, the prices in that area are, are yeah. hard, to, hard to get, hard to meet. So, you, you, were you already uh, in high school when you left uh, the area? Yes, I was. Uh, it was the summer between my sophomore and junior years of high school. I went to Lane for two years, and then we moved to Wisconsin, and I just went to the public school in the town we were in. Uh-huh. 
Did you did you graduate from St. Sylvester's? Yes, I graduated in 1985. Okay. Yep, and it's funny okay. because a lot of people have um, an interesting viewpoint about social media. It can be intrusive. I'll just say that. However, when when somewhere around 2009 or 2010, when many of my peers were really starting to integrate into Facebook and starting to reach out, it was really fun and has been fun to be able to reconnect with some of the the younger kids. Well, they're not. None of us are kids, and see where we all are now. Yeah, I've uh, enjoyed uh, kind of seeing you know how many of them now they have their own families, of course, and. Uh even our grandparents now so yes it's yeah. it's in, well that's the case with me um of course over the years there's been a lot of horror stories about growing up in a parochial school or a parochial situation and and i'll be the first to tell you that that we strove for uh our standards i felt our standards were very high and i was proud when we were able to meet those standards i i never looked at that as a detriment and in speaking with, with many of my friends and catching up with them, we all seem to have that same viewpoint. Not like it was a, a, a war that we lived through and were survivors, but more so that it was, it was a very uh, familial experience for all of us because we really did all grow up together. And, and in the case with, with my particular neighborhood and my friends who, who went there, there wasn't a lot of other safe public places for us to go to in the area during that time. It was you know, very high crime rate. And um, so school was a very big part of our social uh, outlet, of our social gathering. So we really do, we really do look fondly upon, upon each other. And when we do find another person or reacquaint with, with somebody that we haven't talked to in, of course, many years now, it's it's a very warm and good feeling. It's it really set a very um, a very good precedent for us uh, as kids. Yeah, we were very fortunate. Saint Sylvester's was a very positive experience. Was uh, very positive for me as well. And uh, there were challenges, of course, but uh, you know, in the gang the gang uh, activity there, we were right at the intersection of three different gangs and. Uh, the gang wars, even in the in the late seventies, just before I arrived there, there had been some incidents even right in front of the church, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a big concern. But uh, we did a lot of work with uh, community organizations and with uh, other churches in the neighborhood with uh, different programs that were initiated uh, in the area at the time, and uh, there was a lot of positive influence. I don't know, you know, we didn't get rid of the gangs per se, but uh, we did. I have an opportunity to bring a lot of young people into a much safer and uh, healthier environment. It seemed like a lot of people wanted to have ownership of the park. <laughs> that was what I remember. Yeah, the square. Mm-hmm. Palmer Square. Well, the thing too, and and and, you know, um, my apologies for for this this memory lane stroll because I, I generally don't do this with with very many people other than people who have experienced it as well. Um, there are a number of people over the years in which I will have conversations and and some people who maybe don't know that aspect of of my youth are kind of surprised by some of the stories and and 
you can possibly relate to this and maybe even more so because you were an adult at the time and there's a lot of things that go over the head of a child but some things some things even in retelling these some of the stories are are unbelievable to other people who didn't live uh in that <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and sure. and and it's funny because uh, i have a saying among my close friends which is you know when you when you grow up in that you don't always look at it as a badge of honor it's not you know something that you just walk around and talk about oh you know there were there were murders down the block and there was this and there's that and somebody got beat up right on my front step sort of thing but but it did happen now whether or not it, it sculpted us as people other than you know perhaps uh you know uh i i do feel a very um strong pull towards towards people who are close to me and whom i care about and and making sure that they know that and i think that that was part of maybe you know that that growth pro- that that growth process but um but it it is interesting when you know you're being very kind in saying some of the things that you are in terms of uh of your diplomacy <laughs> there were moments when it was it was it was quite dangerous there yeah and uh it's always interesting also to to uh hear the reflections and the and the memories of people such as yourself who who were not adults at the time and how it did affect uh, children whether positively or negatively, sometimes even as adults, we didn't always, uh, you know, notice uh, just how, how severely a child could be impacted by different things. Hmm. So the work that you're doing now, which we will get into here, um, it, it seems as though it's somewhat of an extension of how I remember you as, as, as a child, how I remember you as, uh, um, I, I felt like you were very, uh, encouraging. You were very helpful in terms of, it was hard. And again, I'm going to try and stay away from, you know, for, it was hard for us. It was hard for me as a young man to relate to, uh, an older man in an authority position, because in my case, uh, my parents were divorced when I was young, and so the father figure was out of the house. And my experience with other dads, in terms of uh, my friends' dads, they were they were rather stern. Uh, I don't know if that was a generational thing. You were direct. There's no doubt about it. If we were messing around as as altar boys or something like that, you were very direct <laughs> on making sure that we were uh, respectful of 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 the church and respectful of of our duties. But you were also very warm in terms of your relation to us. And I think that whether or not you made that a conscious decision, it was definitely uh, more counseling than it was. Um, you know, teaching, would you, would you feel that that was uh, an approach that you had? I mean, that's my, that was my take on it. My take on it as an adult now, do you feel that that's what you were, you were doing? Were you making that conscious uh, decision? Yeah, I believe so. I, I always wanted to, to help. Well, it's hard to uh, determine certain things as being conscious decisions. I, uh, uh, you know, but I, I think my, my desire always was to uh, communicate to young and old that you know that there was acceptance and understanding and a desire to see people uh you know grow and and uh advance prosper uh 
you know, to uh, be able to tap into the, you know, the uh, talents and abilities that they had rather than, you know, hold them back or, or, you know, chastise or punish and those kinds of things. Many of us being uh, single parent families, were, were you aware of that demographic? Yes, it was, you know, something that, you know, was increasing more and more and still is today, you know, in terms of people not uh, having permanent, you know, permanent uh, relationships at home, marriages and, and uh, children living in uh, divorced or single parent families it was something that, you know, that we really tried to, uh, we tried to address it in different ways to be conscious of it and to help, help the children. The stability the stability of, of the physical stability of the church and the and the stability of, of of the parish for us again for me was something that that was desirable that sort of stability and I'm not meaning to say that that my home life was unstable but de- unstable but definitely the neighborhood was unstable and 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 the way things were changing around around me and my family was was definitely unstable so that sort of thing really we knew that there would be a fun fair every year. We knew that there would be Monday morning mass, you know, or, or, or Tuesday morning mass if we were in a different grade. We knew that, you know, every day at 8 o'clock this was going to happen, at 3 o'clock this was going to happen. Now, whatever was going to happen between the other hours might be fluctuant, but but that was something that, that I think really, um, we really gravitated, we really needed. And that's interesting because I've learned that one of the, most important elements for a child is stability, is consistency, because uh, the children can't, uh, you know, determine everything for themselves. They rely so much on, on parents and other adults. And stability is really the way that the children experience uh, love and, and, uh, and the way that they experience the safety in their lives that they need to be able to be, you know, to be who they are. And we were very fortunate also at uh, at the parish to have a great staff. I think if you talk about conscious things, yes, we, we did consciously look for people that would be uh, good role models and, and people who were interested in youth, people who were interested in, in children, both in the school. Uh, you know, Sister Marlene uh, was excellent at uh, attracting wonderful teachers. Uh, we had a couple of men teachers, which made it, you know, very, very good for the young men in the upper grades. And we had great uh, people for youth programs as well. I don't know if you remember Sister Nancy did a lot of work with the youth. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other the other people that, uh, that joined us there were, were generally very uh, attentive to the, particularly to the young people. I didn't have a male teacher until seventh grade. There was a, a fifth grade, I think a fifth or fourth grade male teacher that came on after I had already, you know, gotten older and out, and out of that grade. And I, I believe he was there for quite some time, although I, I can't, his name uh, fails me at this point. But you're right. It, it, it was interesting to, I think it was interesting for people. It was interesting for me to see role models who placed an importance on furthering yourself through education or other means rather than, um, you know, fitting in with the local gangs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
you how long were you at St. Sylvester's then? When when was your last year for there? I was there I was there ten years. I I left there in June of nineteen ninety. Uh Cardinal Bernardine asked me to go to Little Village <laughs> and uh talk about jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. Uh you know. There were even more challenges. It was a, a combined parish for one thing. Mm -hmm. It was just being combined at the time, merged, as they say. Uh, the, the different different expectations, different uh, different things coming from you know not only different nationalities but different communities. Yeah, I went to I went to Little Village. I was there for thirteen years, uh, and about that about that time, I was uh, making the decision to. Uh, to get married actually and uh i spent one year back on the north side a little bit north of saint sylvester's it's called resurrections around belmont and sacramento but uh that was that was just the final year before i left and decided to take on a, a second career you might say <laughs> so for my listeners at home um i, I get listeners from around the world actually Little village in in the city is where. It's Twenty uh, Sixth Street, between let's say California and Pulaski. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's Twenty Sixth Street is like driving into a town in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, and uh, it's it's become very well known. Uh, uh, even outside the city, if you want to experience Mexican culture, you go to Little Village or to Pilsen. Pilsen was where uh, Mexicans first came into the city in, in great numbers and established more identifiable uh, community. But Little Village was was the next stop west and was the place where uh, there was a lot of activity at the time. It still is today. today. So it's on a near southwest side of the city. How do you feel personally about about the time that you spent there? Do you feel do you feel as though you said that that things haven't changed all that much? How do you feel about about your time there? Well, th things have changed. Oh, they the, have. I'm the sorry. It's still, it's still very, still very, uh, still very prominent. But uh, no, things things have changed. Uh, yeah, we we. Uh, we did a lot of stuff with youth as well. At uh, you know, when I was there, there were other the other parishes in the neighborhood were very highly attentive to the youth, and uh, yeah, there was there was a lot of growth and development in the community during the time. Uh, and not to not to gloss over the statement that you made shortly after that, which is you you made a, a change in your life. Growing up, growing up, I guess it, we never knew that a Catholic priest could be anything but a Catholic priest. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps an educator, perhaps uh, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe a, a, a historian or something along those those levels, or or somehow further into the church. So, tell me a little bit about what helped you make that decision did you did you feel like your 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 work your work was was done what you had planned on doing you had achieved that or or how did you how did you go about making the decision 
my work was, yeah, by no means totally finished. I, uh, to some extent, I, I really didn't want to leave the work, you might say. Uh, I had no, no difficulties with what a priest does or the life that I'd had as a priest other than uh, the opportunity to experience that type of relationship. And, uh, you know, that, that's been a very, very good thing for me as I've grown older. At the, uh, at the same time, I do miss what I did before, certainly. I, I still have a great interest in helping people to achieve a greater uh, faith, a greater relationship with God, deeper understanding of God's action and movements in their life. Uh, I consider the things that I do today to be sort of an extension or maybe a, a preparation for people to get into a, a deeper relationship with the Lord. And, uh, you know, spirituality is really a very important part of uh, what I do as a substance abuse counselor now. So uh, in some ways, I have not really abandoned uh, the work that I was doing before. It's kind of uh, entered into a different uh, different aspect, a different phase, a different, you know, I have the opportunity to, you know, with my wife now to, we work together on our stuff. Uh, she works with me at our, at our counseling center. And, uh, you know, we're involved in helping people to develop a deeper relationship with the Lord and, and uh, experiencing that, that place in their lives that sometimes people try to fill with, uh, substances such as alcohol and other drugs. Do you feel that maybe people are a little bit more um, open with somebody that they perceive as being a, uh, a, a private citizen rather than, uh, you know, maybe some of the stigma of, of somebody who's uh, a little bit more theological? Uh, by that, I mean to say if you, you know, if you're not wearing the, uh, if you're not wearing the outfit, people aren't, uh, they, they don't have, uh, I guess, what would be similar to white coat syndrome when they go see a doctor. <laughs> yeah, well, one of going back to what you said earlier about uh, uh, the approach to people and, and how to, uh, you know, to have that sense of, of confidence and of uh, approachability, uh, that has always been something a little bit more on my mind. Uh, I, even as you remember at St. Sylvester's, I very rarely wore the outfit. Uh, unless it was something official, mm -hmm. uh, generally uh, dressed pretty much. I, I always had a, you know, black pants, but uh, my shirts. I, I didn't wear the collar very often, uh, unless it was something official. Mm -hmm. Primarily for that reason, uh, you know. Sometimes, uh, as I was growing up, we looked on, as you say, the authority figures or the, you know, the. Uh, people in, in positions such as the pastors in our, in our parishes as, uh, you know, not being as approachable. So we did want to try to break that down a bit. But, uh, well, I'm still somewhat of an authority to the people who do come to us because uh, many of them come through court-mandated uh, 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 purposes. So that's still a little bit of a barrier, but uh, uh, I think I'm still the same person and and trying to build those bridges uh, equally. I don't know how people relate to me differently now than before. I don't, 
I don't. I didn't necessarily feel that unapproachable, although people sometimes told me that they didn't weren't really uh, that I wasn't that approachable in the beginning until they got to know me. <laughs> That's more on them, I think. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> Uh, I'll I'll give you a I'll give you a really brief story here. My stepfather, I don't know, of course, I wouldn't expect you necessarily to remember my parents all that much, but my stepfather was uh, was um, he he served in the United States Marine Corps in the '60s, and then he was uh, he was confirmed uh, he he had, he had self confirmed himself as atheist when he when he got out of the service. He would walk with me when I was uh, when I was an altar boy, and he would sit in the pews and. And uh, uh, after after a few years of doing that, he he declared himself as being agnostic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so maybe something got through to him. But uh, in any respect, uh, before he had gotten together with my mother, sometime in the in the mid seventies, he he was um, he was uh, driving under the influence, and so he received uh, a drunk driving ticket. He had his license taken from him we moved to Wisconsin he uh, reapplied for his license and they they gave it to him and for the the next 30 years he drove uh, throughout Wisconsin without any issues we moved to Florida and they said there's there's a there's a you know a drunk driving uh, incident on your record from 1976 or something like that in Illinois mm-hmm. and it never stopped Wisconsin, of course, you know, when he did get his license in Wisconsin, it was probably, you know, there weren't that many computerized uh, records. So here he is at, at 81 years old um, in the position to where Illinois is required. And he did do this here down in Florida that he speak with a counselor so that they can determine, um, you know, whether or not getting him back behind the wheel and would be, uh, you know, a reasonable thing. And that is what you do, yes? That's what I do. And uh, yes, especially in those days, there w- there was not as much uh, communication between the states. But today there's a, a national database. Mm-hmm. And for example, if you were to go to Wisconsin from Illinois or Illinois from Wisconsin, and they would check the national database. And if the license in your in the state where you have been uh, is suspended or revoked, they will require you to uh, to fix that before they will give you a license in the new state. So that's p- probably, uh, for some reason, perhaps it hadn't been completely, you know, he probably completed all the court requirements when when he got his, uh, his DUI in Illinois. Mm-hmm. But if his license was still revoked or suspended, uh, or suspended or revoked as a result of that uh, DUI. Uh, that's probably why Florida told him you have to fix this first. <laughs> yes, uh, almost almost fifty years later. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter how many years. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, these days, uh, yeah. Well, DUIs do stay on a person's driving record forever. It doesn't have to be the end of the world, but. But it is it is something that has to be addressed before uh, people are given driving privileges once again. Because sometimes people say, "I just won't drive. Uh, I'll you know I'll drink what I what I want, but I won't drive." Mm-hmm. But as we all know, if somebody drinks too much, they're probably at some point going to make 
the poor decision of driving, perhaps putting themselves and others in risk. Oh yeah, it's 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 just it's just too convenient. Mm-hmm. Now that said, um, to take it away from from this specific incident with my stepdad, what is the expectation in terms of 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 counseling? And I know that you probably you know obviously that you can't get very specific, but but are you looking people who are in your position? Are they looking for um, are you looking for some sort of uh, reason to believe that that this is this is a person who maybe will do this sort of thing again you know what are you what are you looking for what is it that that illinois as a state i guess is expecting from people in this in in these counseling sessions what what is it all about it's about fixing uh the maladaptive the the poorly adapted uh manners of using alcohol and other drugs so it's a spectrum. It could it could be a person who just made a mistake. Mm-hmm. They drank too much on a particular occasion, or uh, and they, you know, they made the decision to drive and and they were stopped or something happened. Uh, or they could be regularly consuming alcohol in excessive amounts and uh, abusing abusing alcohol, not drinking socially, but rather abusing it. Mm-hmm. Our our job is to try to help people to identify what their relationship with the use of alcohol or other drugs is and what they need to do to not abuse them in the future. So alcohol is legal. Uh, they're even legalizing marijuana now in some respects. Mm-hmm. And uh, But even though a substance is legal, in fact, alcohol may be more dangerous than some of the other drugs. Mm-hmm. But it's, since it is legal, there's there's no prohibition from when people become intoxicated, especially if they do it on a regular basis, uh, it puts them and other people at risk. The goal is to is to help people not continue uh, putting themselves in that situation with alcohol, getting drunk, you know, using it excessively. So is it is it it's probable then? It sounds like that there's a percentage of people who require some some real some real uh care some real psychological emotional care beyond just your assessment are you then counseling them during the duration of which you feel like okay you 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 you've come to the root of the problem now let's work on it or are you are you handing them off to to a psychologist then beyond this is my question well not not everybody that has a, an issue with alcohol or other drugs has a mental health or psychological mm-hmm. disorder uh, in fact you know many people don't however psychological and mental health disorders do play a role in uh, in some people's uh, involvement with alcohol or other drugs some people self-medicate something that's going on that they haven't been able to resolve. We try to be attentive to that if necessary. Uh, you know, recommend that people seek psychological help if that's what they need uh, or attend to you know, the issues that they, you know, that they notice, whether depression, anxiety, other psychological uh, you know, uh, disorders. But uh, no, our focus is on our focus is on the use of, of substances, and that that's a condition in and of itself. Hmm. 
So while it is beneficial if somebody does have a psychological issue, it's called a dual diagnosis, and uh, it is something that should be addressed together to kind of see, you know, which what feeds into what and how do they feed into each other. Mm-hmm. But uh, but not everybody is in need of psychological uh, help or counseling. So do you think that addiction in terms of chemical addiction or, or alcohol, do you feel like there is a differentiation between having this, uh, you know, having this need for, for something, as you mentioned, self-medicating or, or, you know, depression or something like that. There's a difference between that and just, just being, um, addicted to the substance. There's a difference there. So addiction is more than just abusing a substance. Addiction is when the connections become so strong that it's actually difficult to separate from it when a person wants to. So if a person does not have alcoholism, they may like to drink, so to speak, and like the experience of, of uh, getting intoxicated. But if, if they are not an alcoholic, they should be able to change that. Hmm. Uh, and we can, you know, we can help them to, you know, to see what things they need to do to be able to change that. But when a person has alcoholism, it's, it's, there's a new dimension to it. It's, it's a, they have to learn not only to not want to do it, but to how to uh, how to reinforce their willpower, how to reinforce their, you know, what strategies to take to be able to make sure that they don't go back to it. So there can be a lot of different uh, factors that feed into a person uh, developing an addiction. It's not necessarily their bad will or their uh, you know, carelessness or their desire just to let uh, let go and and not regard you know the the warnings or the concerns that other people have given them. It it has to do with that with that bond that occurs in some people, a certain percentage of people, who even try a substance, they're going to become addicted to it. So now, these days we have the problem of opioid addictions. Why do we have such a big problem with heroin and other opiates right now? Because it, one of the factors that's led into that is the common use of pain medications that are very easily and, uh, and abundantly prescribed without an awareness of the fact that a certain percentage of people who get involved with those medications are going to struggle with the ability to stop using them when they need to or want to and not continue to use them simply to get that experience of that that connection with that drug. I've recently listened to an interview which really made something clear to me and and that is uh, that there are certain um, I don't know that the term is is correct any longer but but I unfortunately I don't know a better one. There are a certain amount of homeless people across the nation who make the decision to remain homeless because they don't want to go through any sort of process to uh, to stay away from methamphetamine or uh, fentanyl. And some of those things are required for them to go through some, some programs. Some of those things are required for them in order to receive any form of assistance. And the addiction is so strong that they would rather live on the streets so that they can continue feeding this addiction than, than to get any sort of help, which would include getting off of it. 
Well, that's one of the most common and most immediate consequences of an addiction is that life becomes unmanageable. Hmm. Life, <clears throat> there are other things that should be more important, that should be more of a, you know, a part of what that person wants in their life, but they, they lose family, they lose relationships, they lose their home, they lose their, their, you know, their job. Why? Because these connections with substances become the primary relationship, the primary thing in their life. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because they wanted it to be that way. An alcoholic does not want to continue to embarrass themselves and to mess up their life. They don't want to continue to to use alcohol in an excessive manner. They make a decision to stop, but that somehow go back to it. Why? Because because these connections, unless they have treatment, unless they have the opportunity to understand how these connections work, they they keep uh, giving in to that you know, to that attraction. It's like magnets. Put a magnet with, you know, with something. Even though you're a strong man, you can't keep that magnet from connecting. Mm-hmm. Why? Be- because the the force of the magnetism is stronger than your physical strength. So, similarly, our, our natural willpower is strong, and people have very, very good and resilient willpower, but unless they learn how to, how to keep those magnets apart, they... Or that force is going to take over. One of the biggest factors with addiction is genetic. I don't know if you've ever heard that, mm-hmm. that there's a genetic factor. A person who has a genetic predisposition to addiction is four to five times more likely to uh, develop an addiction than somebody who does not. You know, it's not just what the person chooses, it's, it's how their body responds to, to the substance. And many good people who have become addicted to things and life gets all messed up despite the fact that they're very moral, upstanding, uh, competent people. Which is, as you say, a lot different than the person who gets pulled over leaving a wedding or a backyard barbecue. Well, yeah, it depends. depends. Well, I guess what I'm the point that I'm making is that is that part of what I'm assuming then that part of what you do is discerning, discerning that. Yeah. So, yeah, but people have to learn that, you know, even a few drinks, leaving the barbecue or the or the wedding can can make it unsafe Mm -hmm. for a person to try to operate and manage a vehicle. We take driving for granted. We think it's habitual. We know how to do it. We, you know, it. Uh, we're sort of on automatic pilot, uh, but uh, we don't realize that when you know we think we're we think we're capable. You know, <laughs> we become more confident in ourselves. One of the embarrassing things that I mentioned in my classes is that when I was younger, I remember telling a friend of mine one day that I could drive better after a couple of drinks. Mm. Well, why would anybody say that? I can drive better after a couple of drinks. But to reassure him, I reassure him that he was safe in my car. So I felt more more confident about myself because 
not because I was better at it, but because I had less judgment, less ability to, to be safe and careful. Uh, the first thing that alcohol reduces in our brain is our judgment. And when our judgment is reduced, we do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. You tell your secrets to somebody that you just met and you wouldn't even tell to your best friend. Mm -hmm. The genetic uh, factor is something that, you know, most people are unaware of and, and that they really need to pay attention to the way that their use of alcohol or other drugs is changing. What, what's, what's happening. Uh, so I left the wedding uh, last week. Next month, there's another wedding. It's the same thing happen again. Mm -hmm. and if I made a mistake, and I, you know, I, I will recognize my mistake, and, and I'll try to do something about it. So usually, when people get stopped for, you know, sometimes police do uh, kind of keep watch outside of certain places. But mm -hmm. uh, but if a person gets stopped, the odds are that they're probably number one not really in condition to drive. Number two. They probably have done it before. Mm -hmm. Like I felt I could drive better after a couple of years. I had done it. It would, uh, you know, I got home just fine. And so that made it easier to, to, to tell myself better, but, you know, over and over again. Uh, it's the justification, of course, mm -hmm. which I think that is so easy. <laughs> It's so easy to to find a means to justify bad behavior. One of the other things that you mentioned in in our conversation prior to this, and dear listeners, we we do oftentimes talk before a podcast. You mentioned that you have uh, an interest, or you're you're beginning doing work with uh, counseling people in 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 fear fear of death. Is this correct? Well, that yeah, that that recently occurred to me i i saw a facebook comment uh by somebody that uh, one of my contacts on facebook and mm -hmm. uh said i'm scared to death of death sure sure uh this is kind of an interesting way to say it but uh i started to think about that you know why why do people uh fear death obviously there's the unknown and and the fact we're not able to control and we're not able to uh uh to know what you know, what to expect afterwards, it's going to create a certain amount of apprehension and fear. Mm -hmm. But uh, that fear can become very excessive and very uh, interruptive in a person's life as well. And, and it also kind of opens up the question of uh, a person's relationship with uh, with God, with with the higher power, if you want to say, or with you know, a dimension of reality that is beyond this world, that's beyond ourselves, mm -hmm. the spiritual life, the spiritual experience of that person. Uh, spirituality is, is greater than, than just a particular church, a particular religion, a uh, particular way of believing. But there is a dimension that, that we all share. That And I think as we grow older, we, we become more... Uh, concerned about you know just what it what is it that's you know that uh is going to happen after our life here on earth is is complete so uh yeah i do have an interest in that i uh, uh i would you know as i said I, i'd like to help people in a spiritual vein i also would like to be able to do things uh with people in a virtual relationship mm -hmm. uh 
a, a limited number of people are able to actually uh, come into an office. And what we've learned, especially now these last few years, is is that, that we can achieve a lot conversing as you and I are today. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you're in Florida and I'm in Illinois, we're you know we're able to converse and to see each other and to and to uh, uh, share our experiences and and to share our understanding and, and wisdom and thoughts. So that yeah, it's something I would like to do. I think it's interesting as I've as I've gotten older. There was a time period in the in the late eighties, and then of course moving to Wisconsin. Uh, there was a Catholic church in, in Reedsburg, Wisconsin that was called Sacred Heart, and I did go there a few times. I, I, I really didn't make much of a connection with with the, the priest there at the time, and so it was a number of years before I returned, and it was a decision that I made. I didn't, I didn't, I was too lazy to go anywhere else, I guess, really is what it came down to. I did notice some changes in the way that things were... Um, you know the process, the 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 ritual, the mass itself, and there's been a lot of things in terms of uh, Catholicism to maybe humanize things, and 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 it's a little less mysterious. There's the homilies I noticed were a little bit more. Um, there was some historical context given in the homilies. Well, this is this is what the the gospel said, and this is what was happening at the time, which which was something that that maybe went over my head as a kid and you know recitation of 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 the of the prayers um i think that that one of the things that they're doing especially even with with younger kids is 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 having that i feel like if i would have gone on maybe to quigley i might have gotten a little bit more of a historical theological lesson you know it's hard to do that when you're dealing with fourth and fifth graders i assume because you know we don't see much more than what's in front of our face or do much more than what we're told to do. But one of the things that I, that I always felt was a, a good thing for me. And I, my children are baptized uh, Catholic as well is I feel that having a religious uh, bedrock gives you maybe a little bit of, the the word would be um you're accountable to 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 someone or dependent upon your religion something more than what you see in front of you and by that i mean to say to take it to what you're what we were discussing about uh people who are breaking the law in terms of substance abuse and and driving so somebody has a strong theological background, and of course I'm talking from from a more reasonable sense, not somebody who's unreasonably addicted to 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 something that just you know completely uh, uh, you know warps their view of of the world. But we'll just take uh, something like if a child sees a candy bar and nobody's going to see them take it, nobody's going to see them take that and put it in their pocket and walk out. It's a one would consider it a victimless crime, something they can get away from. If there's if there's a, a theological uh, bedrock, if there's a if there's a spiritual bedrock, then the child likely won't do it just based on the fact that they have an understanding that there's is more than than what they see. We, we, that's that's been my viewpoint in terms of like 
even if you wanted to take it down to a 1970s, you know, God is watching you sort of thing, don't be bad because even though other people aren't around, somebody's watching you. But it, I think that it, it, it grows more to a communal thing like, well, yes, I could take this candy bar and, and I would enjoy it. But I have to think about the fact that if I do that, what does this do to the shop owner who now has to put out the 38 cents that it costs for a candy bar sort of thing? If you take that on a larger level in terms of a fear of death, I wonder if people who have, and there are moments, of course, you know, when you're not feeling well or, or in the quiet hours of the night when your mind wanders, I, I wonder if that feeling of of fear of death comes from not having that spiritual bedrock. Well, we all have conscience. So that's something that, you know, that kind of uh, goes beyond what we've been taught and told. We all have an internal conscience as well. So I think that there are there are times when people have an awareness that uh, we all, I mean, who's perfect? We're n- none of us is perfect. So uh, we, you know, we wonder kind of what, you know, what's the, the end result, the end result of my life where, you know, where, where are things going? And, uh, and so, yeah, the, the bedrock, the bedrock, you know, comes from building on that and building onto the, you know, the understanding of, you know, what is this dimension of our life spiritually? And hopefully, you know, if a religion is really more than just a religion, it's more than just a uh, ritual practice, it's more than just doing what you're told to do, uh, there's a relationship, there's a building of something that is uh, that is more internal than just uh, obeying a law or following a commandment. So and and those things I think can can feed into the person uh, how they feel about what's going to happen at the end of their life. Do you think that it's a Do you think that it's a nuts and bolts fear? Do you think it's a fear of Is it going to be painful? Um, you know, what is it going to be like if there's nothing? Do you think it's a a, a more um, fear of not having some form of legacy? Like, what am I going to leave behind for people? I mean, it's kind of understood that the vast majority of the billions of people on earth, you know, maybe go about three generations and then all of a sudden it's, a, you know, who is that person in the photo? <laughs> right. So there's, yeah, the legacy is, is a dimension of spirituality that's meaning and purpose. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wayne Dyer. He's uh, an author and uh, a counselor, self-help motivational person mm-hmm. that uh, he wrote. One of the final books of his life was, uh, was, uh, from ambition to meaning. In our earlier years, we we it's all about ambition. What can I what can I get? What can I achieve? What can I do? You know, success, uh, prosperity. As we come closer to the end of our life, we start to think about what what's the meaning? What's the purpose? What you know? What's it all about? What uh, you know? What am I leaving behind? That legacy is is part of that. It is a dimension of spirituality. It's a, a, a way of understanding, you know, ourselves as as uh, human agents, not not just as a, a material body that's passed through a material world. Life is 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 something that that we achieve in itself. It's not it's not just about working in a job and then forget that and you know. I don't know how how that type of person would uh, would view, you know, their 
later years or their retirement. They're just uh, on the shelf waiting, <laughs> waiting for life to end or what, you know, what is it? Well, you you definitely can inspire others in, in terms of, of not knowing which way life is going to twist and turn and, you know, and rolling with it. I appreciate that. That's what I hope. I hope to bring people to an awareness. Uh, some, as I said before, uh, sometimes when people get involved with uh, with excessive use of alcohol or other drugs, they they are trying to fill a space. Alcohol is uh, known as spirits. Right? You mm-hmm. go to the jewel, you see the sign on the wall says "Wine and Spirits." Mm-hmm. Why Why is alcohol called spirits? Because it it changes our our view, our outlook, our our perception of of, of life and of of the people around us. So, uh, there, yeah, there, that space that we have by doing this work, I hope to achieve a greater consciousness on the part of people, a greater intentionality of what of what they're doing with their life, and how, you know, uh, interrupting their life with you know with these these experiences of excessive drinking are not not going to contribute to what they're really trying to uh, to achieve you know through their life what are you doing when you're not uh, when you're not wearing your counselor hat <laughs> uh, we're here pretty much uh, of the time but at home we uh, we like to watch uh, uh, different types of, of series on TV. We watch some of the biblical series of, uh, that have been produced uh, that kind of transmit the biblical message in terms of the, re- the lives and relationships of real people to each other. Uh, and uh, some of the other uh, more mundane uh, series that have been posted on Netflix and things like that. But we, yeah, we like to kick back and just kind of uh, do that or my my wife is from Mexico, and uh, her family lives in the city of Morelia, Mexico. And we have been trying to connect more with them. And uh, there have been some health issues with some of her family members, so we've been trying to, uh, you know, be involved in uh, some of the decisions and and steps that have been taken down there. So we've been back and forth to Morelia a couple of times this year, and. Uh, uh, or other family close by, we get together with them. My wife has uh, family close by here in Cicero and Berwyn, so we, we get together with them. That's very nice. Yeah, we we somehow stay busy. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to? Well, I would just like to say that I'm available if anybody... Uh, would like to contact me, uh, can be contacted through email with uh, jim.cadc at gmail.com. Okay. And uh, if anybody would feel in need of any advice related to uh, having had a DUI or reestablishing their driving privileges, especially live here in Illinois, or uh, if they've even if they've had issues in Wisconsin, but they live in Illinois, uh, know how the system works in Wisconsin as well as Illinois, Indiana. Uh, and so, yeah, just I'm here. I will have a link to to that in the show description. 
I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to to have this conversation. I I appreciate you, Jim. I really do. Well, I appreciate you, Alex, and I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and to see you after all these years. <laughs> We've uh, noticed each other's posts on Facebook for a few years now, but there was a big gap in between. I'm really happy that we had this opportunity to speak. Me too. Thank you so much for this. You're welcome. Thank you, Alex. Have a good day. Hey, everybody. This is Alex. This is Lori, and I don't get to see the outline. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't. Some of the beginning of this, the discussion before we introduce ourselves, mm-hmm. should probably make it. I don't know that it will. Uh, I think it should. You were there when I wrote the outline. Yeah, but now he won't let me see the outline. Well, you, we conversed about the outline, and the outline is good. So we'll just go, it'll, it'll be a natural flow, and if we go too far, I'll bring it back to the outline. He so has to be in control. I am not. That controlling. I can't be with you. You're control- <laughs> <laughs> it's just not possible. <laughs> no, I agree. It's not. I think everybody who knows you well enough knows that that is just not possible. Yeah, pretty much not. 20 years ago, maybe. <laughs> but not but this, Lori. Nope. <laughs> uh, speaking of time and time elapsed, it's been a while since we've done this. Yeah, too long. I'm glad we're back at it. It is too long, and uh, we apologize, but thank everybody out there who's listening, who are our faithful listeners, Yes. who continue to send us messages or contact us or ask us about things that are happening. And uh, we were recently on a on a call with some really close friends of ours who said that they were listening. Maybe I think they might have even been re-listening to a podcast mm-hmm. that we had posted and it was nice to hear that. And, of course, I knew that this one was in the works because I had done the interview quite some time ago. But it was nice to hear that they're still listening, even though there wasn't any new content for a while. Well, here it is. New content. It's super new. Super new. Are we telling what this is yet? Well, yeah, because at this point, whoever is listening has already heard it. True. That's right, because we're doing the end bumper. I always forget about that, but I do want to say something about this. We're doing the wrap-up. Yeah, say what you'd like. I'm excited to hear it. I've not heard it yet. We're doing this bumper, but I haven't actually heard the interview yet. Mm -hmm. But I am excited because this is somebody that you looked up to as a child. Yes. You have fond memories of this person and of your experience during that portion of your life yes i i do and i have to admit and you'll you'll have heard it at this point listeners out there uh jim miller had asked at one point if i had graduated from saint sylvester's and i was taken aback by that as if to in my own mind i was kind of like well of course i graduated how could you not remember you were there you know we were one of the one of the first groups i think that he had seen well not really. I mean, he didn't see us from first grade on through fruition, but, you know, our fourth grade anyway. And, of course, we felt that we were special. <laughs> but in conversation with him, uh, unfortunately, after the mics were off, I realized why it was he had asked that. And it wasn't that he didn't remember me, but he had remembered an anecdote 
which I unfortunately can't repeat right now because it involved another student and he had mistaken that to be me. Oh. And as a result, then he he was conflicted because over these years he had thought that this anecdote had been attributed to me and my family and it it wasn't. So that was cleared up and it wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad thing but hmm. because it didn't it, it didn't pertain to me and it was a statement that was made I, I kind of feel like maybe I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't uh, quote him on it you'll have to tell me off microphone I will okay I will and so when he had mentioned that to me off the record I thought okay well then that that makes sense and it was less that he was questioning if I had graduated but more that in his mind he had hoped that I would go through all the way to the end at St. Sylvester's, but there was some question as to whether or not that was going to happen. And it wasn't really based on academics or anything like that. It was a, it was more of a family situation and mm. it wasn't uh it wasn't my family in which, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in which that happened. So, so refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. We actually did a walkthrough just by accident. We were in Chicago for a weekend and mm-hmm. they were having an open house and we always, would go visit the old neighborhood when we were down in Chicago, when Mm -hmm. we were still living in Wisconsin. And it was really cool to get to go through the school that you attended as a child. And they even pulled out books with your pictures and, Mm -hmm. and had stories. And it was a really cool experience. And I know for you, it was a really moving experience well it was it was moving for me because that was pre-medication days <laughs> so I was I was very emotional at any given time anyway but a lot of it stemmed from the spontaneity as we were in the neighborhood we had seen the signs that it was an open house for mm-hmm. people who wanted to sign their kids up and we had never expected that to happen Mm-mm. and for years I, I think that Gosh, I want to say that this was maybe the year 2018, 2017. That sounds like that could be right. Somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And... I think they thought we were going to sign kids up. <laughs> well, we no, no, we we were very we were up front right away. No, we were right. We were up front right when they, we we walked in the door. I think that was what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. But right away, we told them what was going on. And I believe I believe we we covered this in a previous podcast. For some reason, I feel like this story is is maybe it's only because we've we've said it in private a few times to mm-hmm. friends. But as we came in, we we were up front about our reasons for being there and they were very gracious and they assigned us the, the mm-hmm. two little uh i guess I, you know they're sort of ambassadors right to the school and they were sweet kids and they walked us around and i think we even went into places we probably weren't supposed to go i think so too but it was really nice because at that point i hadn't set foot in there since 1985 and, and it so was, it was cool part of how we went down this trail is i wanted to just refresh myself you went to eighth grade there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I graduated eighth grade there. So, and that's where that school—that's that, the highest level you can go there. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Then after that, if you wanted to stay in a parochial school uh, in the Archdiocese of Chicago, you had to go then on to something that was, uh, you know, a parochial high school mm-hmm. or or college prep. Mm-hmm. And and there's a number of them. Right. There's a number of them. Um, a lot of my friends went to Gordon and some of mm-hmm. them went to Quigley. Mm-hmm. Those were some of the places. And I, I, I don't know any longer what that path is. 
but that that was the path and then mm-hmm. from there you made other decisions in your life in terms of what you wanted to be and and, and like uh Quigley was a was a preparatory school to enter into the priesthood mm-hmm. so that was pretty much a clear path going into mm-hmm. you know into further service whereas Gordon wasn't really that but it did have uh some some uh you know, religious education as well, theological education in there as well, as your, your general academics and you went to school. Okay. I was going to ask, because again, we're doing this bumper and I haven't heard the interview. Did you have a conversation about the fact that you considered going into the priesthood? No, no, I didn't. I, I felt like that might have been a little too much yeah. because I, I, it was hard for me. This conversation was a hard one for me. And maybe that's why I've been having it's been those of you out there maybe don't know this, but Jim and I had the conversation a few weeks back and it's it's been completed that portion of this has been completed for some time and I think that there's a part of it that was difficult for me because I felt like like there was maybe a little bit of fawning on my part mm. because I, I really was I really admired him and mm-hmm. I do admire him still mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm an adult now and things are different in terms of admiration but when I was a child I really admired him mm-hmm. for different reasons and I didn't want it to be you know, a Chris Farley moment like remember <laughs> in when I was in sixth grade, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, because, A, there's a lot of kids right. that came through St. Sylvester's. And B, it's many years ago. Right. And he was very gracious in what he did remember, what he could talk about. And then, of course, there were some generalizations. And, and I respect that and I appreciate that. And it was... It was still nice. It was nice to hear him. Uh, those of you who don't know this, I do all video conversations for people who can't make it into the studio. So I still get the opportunity to see people and we interact visually, even though that component is not kept. It was nice to see him. And it was just a very comfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. It was a very comfortable conversation. Very little of it was edited out. A little bit of my rambling at, at some point I edited out, but Jim was very good. The, the only thing I couldn't edit out, which is a shame, is that there were one or two moments in which there was uh, a bit of a technical difficulty in terms of uh, there was a crackling that I didn't catch while we were doing the recording. And I think I don't. it was a microphone cord or something. Unfortunately, that that I tried to edit that out as best I could throughout the the interview. However, there's a few times where that's in there, and one of the moments that's in there is when he. Oh, it's not in there. I had to actually take it out because the crackling was too bad. But his discussion on why he left the priesthood, mm. which was very interesting, and unfortunately, you guys don't get to hear it directly from him, but you can hear it from me now, and he said that. He had a moment where he felt as though he wanted to share his life with somebody else in ways that other people do. And he wanted that. He wanted somebody special in his life and he wanted to share his life that way. And I think that was probably precipitated, although I did not ask him this specifically. I'm sure that was precipitated by meeting his wife. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was the effect that he had. I didn't I didn't ask him that part of it. I felt that was maybe a little too personal. But that was what did it. It wasn't as though he felt, okay, I've 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 done what I could in the role that I have. And it wasn't as though he was necessarily looking to to do something other than 
being a priest, but I feel like maybe his wife came along or something came along that, that opened his eyes to that part of life that he was missing out Mm -hmm. on or that he wanted to experience. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately that's not in there. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't do much about it because it was just like a when he was talking and, hmm. and, and it was a moment at the time where I didn't hear it when we were having the conversation. So it wasn't like I could back Strange. him up. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It was weird. Okay. I couldn't back him up and say, wait, could you say that again? Because mm-hmm. there are times when I will have something where somebody will, you know, hit the microphone with their hand or something sure. like that. And then I can ask them to repeat it so that I can get a clean take. But unfortunately I couldn't done that one, but that was, that was something that he had said. So mm-hmm. yes, uh, cat out of the bag. If anybody's not listened to the interview and just skipped to the wrap up portion, yeah, he he was the priest, he was the head priest at Saint Sylvester's Parish, and then uh, he went on to do a number of other things after that. Still, while in his role as a priest, and then he he left the priesthood, mm-hmm. and he's helping people now. It's it's really it's really nice. It's so really he still nice. Still has this calling for you know helping people and doing what he can to serve people right and he still has a very strong religious foundation so Mm -hmm. he does uh you know he he does consult scripture and he does he does bring god into the conversation Mm -hmm. which is important to him as well Mm -hmm. and that part of it is there although it's 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 coming from you know maybe a peer side of it rather than somebody who's uh well you don't you don't lose that information or that education or that knowledge mm-hmm. or even that desire right to follow that that to follow those ways right yeah you're absolutely right so that is a part of that's a, it's very much a part of who he is right it's a, it's his belief structure and yeah. so that that comes into the conversation it didn't really come into the conversation with him and I but and the other thing I didn't mention was a couple of years ago almost Exactly a couple years ago, uh, when I had COVID, mm-hmm. he had um, virtually sent me a, a prayer for to anoint the sick, and that really went a long way with me. Right, actually, and that was a, a very nice thing for him to do at that time. And I did not thank him for that because, again, I, I was afraid I was going to be like, and then. <laughs> In 2020, when I was sick, you said some nice things. <laughs> yeah, I wanna... If you could only see Alex's face right now. <laughs> I looked like I did when I was nine years old. Yeah. And All then... scared. <laughs> it's so funny because the difference between you and I when it comes to interviewing, and I've only had the one interview with Jaco, but I guess in just conversations with people too, I don't have those same fears or boundaries that I place on myself. And I ask, I feel like people want to talk about themselves and people want to tell you. So I'm, I feel like I'm opening the door for them to just say those things. I think that I feel if it was a conversation, if it was just a conversation, which most of this is, of course, right? right. It's an improvisational conversation. Right. But if it only went as far as he and I, then I think that I would be okay with asking. In fact, you know, I, I don't like to do this. I don't like to say this, but I'm going to say this now. There was quite a bit of conversation after. Right. I don't do that often. Most of the time when I have a conversation with somebody in in, in respect to the podcast, that's as far as it goes. And very little times do I shut the mics off and just converse. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because I like to have it all in the interview and not, you know, like, oh, you should have been there for the after party or something <laughs> like that. I have done it. I have done it some with everybody, but not a whole lot. So I don't really, I don't really emphasize that part. I don't mention it all that often. If it was a conversation with just Jim and I, if we were sitting on Zoom and talking, I would have very little problem asking him those questions. As you know, I can be very direct with people in terms of of getting to know them. But I do feel a sense of responsibility that there are thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands or even a hundred thousand people out there around the world who will hear what someone has to say. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that I just have their dignity in mind. I have their dignity in mind when I when I do the editing for the podcast. You're so as well. thoughtful about that. But it, it's it, I I just feel like it's a responsibility. I don't know that it's being thoughtful. I just feel like I it's think a it's responsibility. Both. I think it's both. So and you're always you've always been burdened with responsibility. Yeah. You are so furrowed in responsibility. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. I guess. What? Wait, I have the power you said earlier. Well, I, I just said that I couldn't tell you what to do. I think that <laughs> didn't necessarily mean anything about power. I can't. Uh, I you know, people can't tell donkeys so what to do. He's so funny. He's so funny. You're so funny. <laughs> but this brings about something that's that's that I did want to discuss a little bit, which mm-hmm. is uh, you know, mentoring. Right. And I did, I did when I was younger consider the priesthood, and I think that some of that was because of Jim's mentoring at that time. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a very compassionate person, and I really, I really gravitated towards that. And mm-hmm. and you know, I I didn't realize then, which I understand now, that you don't have to necessarily, um, you know, take a certain path in order to to play a role in somebody else's life. Sure. And that's something that you you generally gain with experience and with knowledge and getting older. You know, you you kind of have this this viewpoint of when you're younger, everything's black and white. This person's a police officer; they're good. This person is an auto mechanic; they're good with their hands. This person is a doctor; they're smart. This per- you know what I'm saying? Right. This, and and though it does require a lot of those things in terms of of how they can do their job or how they interact in their roles it it doesn't mean that people that that don't do those jobs don't have those same qualities sure. as well absolutely and so I, I i i looked at him i looked towards him as as being a mentor and I, I think that it's interesting that you know as i've gotten older i've i've actually accumulated a few other people in my life whom i've looked up to relatives non-relatives people whom i've looked up to or people who have really said things or 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 did things for me that have influenced my viewpoint on life and 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 for me he was probably one of the first people outside of somebody in my home you know relative or a parent or somebody Mm -hmm. that that did that for me Mm -hmm. I mean do you ever have that sort of thing have you ever been in a position where somebody mentored you maybe not necessarily sat you down or or showed you something that that you wanted you know or, or, or that they felt that you should know but just kind of led by an example that you looked at and you thought to yourself, oh, yeah, that's a person that, uh, you know, I admire that person. And gosh, I'd like to be like that person. Oh, absolutely. I have. I mean, you know, because you and I have these conversations, one of my greatest mentors as a child was my grandfather. Um, And then, you know, unfortunately, I didn't probably realize this until 
into my adult years, but my mother was a huge, I mean, moms are mentors anyway, right? But, Mm -hmm. but I mean, she was a huge inspiration. She was a very strong woman and I didn't realize it until um, sadly, you know, later in life and, and she didn't get to live that long. And I've had friends and other family members as well that have been huge inspirations and mentors whether they knew it or not Hmm. so well to give me the opportunity in wrapping up the conversation with him to let him know that 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 i did and i do i appreciate him and i appreciate his inspiration to me and as i had just said i think it's really important to do that to let people know that because you don't know how long you have here on this earth and I think it's important for people to know that they're important whether Mm -hmm. it's to one person or many people I think it's very important for them to know that I think that's true Uh, you know interestingly enough just before that I had reconnected with a friend from grade school outside of just social media but talking have a video chat with him and, and we we took that moment we took that moment to discuss the things that we remembered about each other when we were yeah. kids. And, and it was a, it was a very sweet moment. It was a touching moment because it was, you know, we're not kids anymore and it's been a long time, but it was nice to know that in the, in his case and in mine that we both remembered things about each other. I really appreciated that too, because I did get to be there and witness and hear that conversation. And it was very sweet. And I, I can't think of the, correct word other than just special it was a really special moment for me to hear someone saying such wonderful things about you Mm, yeah it was nice and and so um if listening marco marco roman (laughs) out there uh yeah i really appreciated having that conversation and and the work that he's doing which i i can't talk about top secret work but eventually we'll talk about that yeah and uh Maybe you know. there would be some sort of sponsorship. But Maybe. We can, yeah, you know. <laughs> Always working the angles, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was nice to be able it to really do was. that with him. And, right. and again, you know, a few weeks later, it was nice to be able to do it with Jim. And I agree with you. Life gets very busy. and It's short. You and I have these differing views on that. I, mm-hmm. I have the life is short view, and Alex has life is long view. And... They both balance each other, and I, because of losing my mom at such a young age, um, you know, I think that's where my short view comes from, Mm -hmm. and I just, I think that it's important to, to really put things out there and let people know and not have them guessing or wondering because if you can't be here the next day to tell them, hopefully you already did. Well, and from my perspective on, on life being long, mm-hmm. it's also very full of experiences and things. And, and day to day, I mean, living life, sometimes uh, you, you, you are pulled away from some of the fundamentals and you just assume that things are understood or are known or, you know, you don't have to say these things because people know it or, you, you know, they've, you've had the conversation before and things haven't changed. But it is kind of nice to, 
to make sure that if there's somebody out there who's who's influenced you or impacted your life in some way, I mean, especially to the positive, of course. Right. I don't think that we have very many. Uh, I don't think that people hold back usually when somebody affects their life negatively. Yeah. I, I agree, but unfortunately. To the posi- yes. Yeah. But mm-hmm. to the positive, I think that's an important thing, too. Absolutely. Uh, I also think, and I'm going to segue to the next bullet point on the... That I don't get to see. No, but you, you know what the next thing I'm is. I'm looking over his shoulder and I can't see it because it's too far away. That implies that I have my back to you. No, I we're facing each other, mm-hmm. but I have to look because you're kind of sideways and so I have to try to look over your shoulder to see on the side of you (laughs) I have to look through you and over you well (laughs) the next bullet point is is meditating and again I I, we've talked about meditating a lot but I I really want to just make mention here that uh, on my Facebook page I use the meditation timer that comes with the uh, the Apple iPhone mm-hmm. and uh, it's out there if anybody wants to meditate when I meditate or uh, group up or something like that you can do that if you if you also download the meditation timer I am a firm believer that one of the laws of the universe is that energy that is directed from more than one source compounds more than just coming from those individual sources. Absolutely. So it would be really cool. I, I haven't really been able to do this because I meditate uh, so erratically in terms of when I do it. I try to meditate every single day, but I don't always set aside mm-hmm. a time for it. Usually I do it either in the morning or I do it in the evening. Those are the two times when, when I'm able to either decompress at the end of the night or, you know, kind of try and start my day off on the right foot. And that all depends on what's happening throughout my day. So it's not like I could say, hey, everybody, I'm going to meditate tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern. You know, let's start thinking about loving kindness all at the same time. But I feel as though as many people do meditate at one time is is something that could really push everybody forward. So we've talked about this and I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but I had participated in a world meditation day a couple of years back mm-hmm. and there was an article that had talked about, and I don't think it was specifically that day. I think it was maybe a day that had happened in the past where the earth actually tilted some millis, you know, millimeter inch centimeter whatever (laughs) um very small amount um because that energy that happened during that actually shifted well i don't want to get too far into the weeds with this (laughs) as as you and i both can and maybe that's a, a topic for for another conversation which i i would definitely love to do there were times ancient times when there were spires or uh, you know posts throughout a village that were aloft and in you know at the top of those spires or at the the top of those posts very much in the same way there's like fire lookout towers Mm -hmm. in 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 the wilderness there would be priests or there would be monks or there would be whatever was associated with the religion of the location at the time who would go up there and pray over the village and that sort of energy was uh, transferred throughout the village Mm -hmm. below Mm -hmm. and I think that we've kind of lost our way in that sort of thing and 
we're very powerful. People are very powerful. Individuals are very powerful. And taking that opportunity, take the time, and we can create our own energy. So take that time and create that energy. And yeah, one of the things that they'd always say is that you you can generate you can generate a good feeling for other people, right? You can walk into a room sure. based on what your energy level is. If you're smiling and happy and upbeat and optimistic, you can transfer that. Or if you walk into a room and you're you're glum and you're you know, you've got a sour puss and you've got a frown on your face and mm-hmm. you can transfer negative energy as well. And I feel like without even being in the room, you can do this. You can generate energy that, that can I agree. And and I don't like to leave people out, as you know, mm-hmm. whether you want to call it meditation, prayer, chanting, whatever your source is to get that happy feeling or that complete or content feeling, do it. And, and you know, think about those positive things and those loving, kind things that we can spread throughout the world because Lord knows we need it. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like there are many things in this world, physical things that people don't realize could be different based on on maybe just opening up a collective consciousness. Sure. Or just, you know, just sitting quietly for a moment Mm -hmm. to reflect and not only you know, on the big picture and the world, but within your own self, mm-hmm. your own body, your own cells, to have that positive energy flowing more than negative. Mm-hmm. Your health, everything is so much better. And, you know, I try to have almost like this aura of positive energy around me so that when something comes at me that's negative I don't absorb it 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 can bounce off from me and do I feel empathy for that do I feel bad or sorry for that yes do I want to help that person or that situation yes but I don't have to be engulfed by it well I think that's something that could be said for everybody I mean absolutely you're going to have things that are going to affect you negatively it's that's the way of the world at this point Uh, you're not Gandhi I mean (laughs) (laughs) no you're going to you're going to have things well and even Gandhi would get angry so you're you're going to have things that are going to affect you that way but yes how you how you internalize that is the thing that you have control over right and you know so summer is coming to an end and things especially in the Midwest which is where we're from gets colder darker your home more gray Yes, and sometimes it, it can really affect your mood. So taking the time to meditate on on loving kindness and and doing uh, you know doing that that time that benefit to the world, I, I think could be something that everybody could do. So I'll link it in the uh, in the show mm-hmm. description. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I just want to throw it out there. I I don't really do that sort of uh, specific. Uh, you know, outreach, but, uh, I've been, I've been feeling lately like that's something that could, could be a benefit mm-hmm. with summer coming to an end uh, here in Florida. It just doesn't, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I guess it, it is getting cooler. Yeah. But we spent a lot of like, time outside today. today and it was glorious. It was just mm-hmm. comfortable and 
the sun was shining. It was a really beautiful day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wish that all of you could experience that wherever you are. And I know that's difficult because Mother Nature plays differently in different regions of this world. But uh, (laughs) you could always come here. (laughs) Well, there are many people who, who, especially in the Midwest, who really look forward to fall. They look forward to the the long sleeves and the the warmer clothing and I mean the not Han Solo look. Yeah, <laughs> not necessarily you know winter gloves and and hats or anything, but they do like the uh, you know eh, the, falls the okay. leaves. But it's like what that. comes after fall that's really well. That, yeah, the transition months in the Midwest and throughout a lot of the northern United States, it's beautiful in mm-hmm. in many places. But yes, the uh, the winter is just. Horrible. And people who like it, I think you're just trying to convince yourself. <laughs> no. Well, just the same. That also means back to school for the kiddos. Mm-hmm. And, well, know. then we went back to school here, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Back to yeah. a routine. Right. Back to a routine. Traffic. For oh, my goodness. The traffic. <laughs> yeah. It's starting to pick up down here. Starting. Yes. It's already. <laughs> but it also means that, uh, you know, the Florida Rhythm Kings. We're going to be starting to play yeah. a lot more season, because yes. and when the season hits, that means that there's going to be a lot of tourists down here. Let's take a second because I don't know how much we've talked about the Florida Rhythm Kings. That's, oh, we, we talk about them all the time. <laughs> so this is the band that Alex and a couple of friends that he's met down here have started and they started playing out, what, two months ago? Um, we started out in mid-June. Okay. And this is going to be posting here in mid-September, so three months. So, took off. It we've, took yeah, off. We've been fortunate. It's been great, and they sound great. I, I I do live feed and some videos and photos. You have to bear with us because, you know, phone cameras and mics are never as good as when you're there seeing them live. But I hope I'm doing some justice by by you guys well it's fun to have it out there and i appreciate that you do yeah and and so anyway they're great and we're having fun and they're gonna play a lot more shows which is good and i knew once you got out there and started playing you were gonna you were gonna go so (laughs) it's brent on bass and uh mikey on the drums and we yeah it's a three-piece i sing as everybody who knows me knows i sing and play guitar and it's blues and classic rock and some soul numbers and things like that it's 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 fun and there's been a really good response to mm-hmm. it and i'm very pleased i this is what i wanted to do when i came right. here and it's taken some work to find the right guys and it's taken some work to to get the music down right and we weren't ready to play we wanted to make sure that we were going to get out there and and do have well. a full show and right yes and and it, it took some time for that to happen and I've bopped in and out with other musicians of course uh, up until we really got this going and and really have an appreciation for what we have and it's fun if you have the opportunity when you go to the porter notes porter Florida Rhythm Kings is one of the places that you can go from our landing page you can check out the band on Facebook and our regular uh, our regular website we have many links on that. Oh yeah, for sure. We we and and we're going to add a new one soon, but we have links there for Vegan Dad Comics. We have links there for 
America Land podcast, which we need to do an episode of America Land soon. That would be wonderful. We've really been lackadaisical on that one. We have links for my personal music that's on there as well. Mm -hmm. And of course, this podcast, which is what would bring most people to that site. Is, mm-hmm. is the Porter Notes podcast. There's a link and there's actually a, a an embed at the top where you can just go to the website and listen to the podcast if you don't have a podcast player that you prefer, mm-hmm. although it's on all of them. Uh, there's also your Wisco Veggie Foodie mm-hmm. on there. I, I posted some stuff, stuff recently. And yeah, that's on there. I didn't take a picture of my dinner tonight. Oh, that was wonderful too. It's a remake of hospital food believe it or not (laughs) when I worked at the hospital up in Reedsburg Wisconsin they made this gnocchi with mushrooms and garlic oh so good it was one of my favorite things they made I made that for dinner tonight and it was good people assume that hospital food is bland and boring and just uh you know the bare minimum of nutrition to fill you up and get you out Right. I mean, sometimes it is, and and partially because they have to do specialized diets, mm-hmm. so they can't overload it with salt and things like that. That you people usually assume that's what you need for cooking. You don't. Mm-hmm. I, I, mine was very garlicky. <laughs> oh, it was terrific. So it wasn't too garlicky. It was. It was, and that's the thing. You you have to learn what spices go with what, and yeah. it was good melts in your mouth it was delicious if i must say well and the new link that we're going to have on the porter notes uh site porternotes.com is going to be for your new side hustle my new side hustle (laughs) yeah which we haven't named yet no no i'm maybe some people can throw some suggestions oh yeah we'll take suggestions absolutely so one of the things that i did for my daughter's bridal shower and wedding were charcuterie trays and I've always loved doing beautiful things with food. And I have started a business where I cater charcuterie boards. And I got my first paying gig coming up. Yes. But now I got to come up with business cards and a business name and a page and all that good stuff. So watch for that. Yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. I, I'm pretty excited for that. I'm excited too because it's I love doing it's like being commissioned to make a piece of art. Sure. It is. It really is. Edible art. Edible art. <laughs> Those of you who remember from the Kettle and Cup days, Lori was very involved in perpetuating the food part of Kettle and Cup. You came up with the recipes, you came up with the different sandwiches. There were sandwiches and and things and salads and things that we would do on a temporary basis just to try them out and see how well they went over. And sometimes we would bring those recipes back and rotate them. Mm -hmm. And the soups were always a big thing because, yes, like many other places, we did get soup bases from distributors, but our soups were not specifically just the bases that you would get from, from the distributors. You would actually work with them yeah work your magic on them my the things that i made in the coffee shop were some of my favorite things to make and i still do as you know i mean i like soup i eat a lot of soup Mm -hmm. and i make a lot of soup and so i do enjoy that but the charcuterie thing even though i don't eat meat i do enjoy making them for other people that include meat a lot of times the ones that i make for us here don't 
include meat or very little. Mm-hmm. And they're visually stunning. I mean, the the various layers, the way that you you work with the board as though it's a canvas. It's it's something to see. Well, I have some pictures that once I get a page up, I will I'll display the ones that I've made in the past, and then any new ones. Yeah, I I I, I have a suggestion for the charcuterie. Oh, name. let's hear it. Uh, Lori's Meats and Treats. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Just throwing that one out there. Mm, it goes so... It, the whole meat thing goes so against my... Yeah, the Wisco veggie. Yeah, it does. So I, I struggle with that. That's why none of the charcuterie trays or boards that I have made are on that page, because mm-hmm. that is just a vegetarian. Yeah, that's true. So it has to be different. Okay, so it could be something like... Uh, Lori's uh, treats and beets, <laughs> and you're gonna have to add beets to every charcuterie tray. <laughs> well, I love beets, so yeah. not everybody does, though. Lori's sweets, beets, and treats. Mm, I don't know for the feats. I need, <laughs> I need some suggestions. People, help me out here. <laughs> Um, we're going to probably get close to wrapping this up here yes. because the interview is kind of long and um, we just enjoy talking and we can go on like this forever. But yes. I wanted to mention one other thing that has happened between the last episode of the podcast and this one, and that is that we had celebrated our 10-year wedding Ten anniversary. years. And they said it would never last. Who's they? You know who they are. They can go kick a bucket. Yeah, they can go jump in the lake. However... They were wrong. And we didn't stay together and haven't stayed together just to prove people wrong. No. I really like just being around you. I like being around you. And, you know, those of you out there listening, we've spent the whole day together today. (laughs) We're going to spend the whole day together tomorrow. We just like spending the day together. We do. And you know what? I know it's sappy. And I have other loves in my life. I do. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. Everybody knows that. But I love this man. He's (laughs) my best friend. And I'm so grateful and thankful for you in my life. And especially you allowing me to be me. You, You showed me how to get back to myself. And you allowed me and us to be okay with who I really am. And I so appreciate that. Well, I love you for who you are. And so there's no allowance there. I I like you. And <laughs> the more of you that I get to experience, then the happier I am. So when you are comfortable and safe and, and happy, then that makes me feel happy. So that that's always been my major focus. Mm-hmm. is to, to make you feel comfortable and safe and happy. And I'm not going to tell people how great you are because I don't want any competition trying to come and take you away from me. <laughs> That's not going to happen. He's not great people. He's all mine. <laughs> That's mostly the all yours part is 100% true. The other part of me not being all that great is pretty close No, no, no. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but in all, all seriousness, yes, it's been 10 years and it, we've known each other for Longer than that, of course, mm-hmm. but we've been married for 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's been a very interesting 10 years, oh not because goodness. of our marriage and our relationship. That part has been wonderful and mm-hmm. steady, solid as a rock. But Thank goodness. life all around us in the last oh. 10 years. I mean, those of you out there, listen to you, to what I'm saying to you. The last 10 years, take stock of the things that have happened to you in the last 10 years. And 
we're not alone in that. I mean, it's a no. crazy, crazy world that what we've been the, living in. What is, is it Ozzy or is it Black Sabbath? Which one did the crazy train? That was Ozzy. That was just Ozzy. Mm-hmm. Listen to the song. <laughs> Listen to it. I, it I, our life might be something like that. <laughs> and it's 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 wonderful to have it's wonderful to have the support. You're my biggest cheerleader, and I appreciate that about you. And I appreciate knowing that you care about me and knowing that that you support me and knowing that your love is there even when I feel like there are things that happen in this world that make it a challenge to do that and I feel like there are things that I do that think sometimes make things challenging I'm not fishing by saying mm-hmm. that I just know that that's how life is mm-hmm. and I am very appreciative and thankful that you enhance my life the way that you do oh you're so sweet man we just wrote wedding vows <laughs> oh and it, 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 we just spoke wedding vows like we didn't write them we no, spoke them yeah maybe maybe <laughs> yours is that we were going off the rails on a crazy train <laughs> no before that i was being very heartfelt and thought thankful and, and mine are like uh, now that i found you now that I found you, I won't let you go. <laughs> so, yes, it's been 10 years, and it's it's been a great 10 years, and it's just the beginning. There's so many more ahead of us. Yes. Uh, this adventure is... Actually, we're... <laughs> this adventure is... I'm not going to even say it. I It'll jinx us. Nope. There's no jinx. No, nope. There's no jinx. I was going to say, we're kind of plateauing into this peaceful... Loveliness. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> jinx, no, jinx. No, that's, don't say it because it's not true. I mean, if you look at where we are now compared to where we were 10 years ago, we never would have imagined 10 years oh, ago my goodness. where we would be. So. No. So with that being said, uh, also we want to thank all of you out there who listen and who are encouraging to us and those of you who are friends of ours on social media platforms. We appreciate when you had said happy anniversary to us. Yes, absolutely. That was very sweet. We were we were often surprised by some of the the well wishes that we had received. Mm-hmm. Pleasantly surprised. Pleasantly surprised. And, and it was very nice. It was very nice to have that uh, back in July or July back in uh, July was your birthday yeah <laughs> which uh, certain people forgot but I'm not gonna mm-hmm. but um <laughs> uh, but uh but back in in August for our wedding anniversary it was it was a wonderful day and we had a great day together doing just the things that we like to do and my birthday's coming up you better make it great oh yeah oh <laughs> uh, yes no pressure, no, yeah, no pressure there. Under pressure. So, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna get in trouble for yeah. All before you <laughs> sing another song, that we're gonna have royalties come after us, and it doesn't get any more royal than Queen. Oh, uh, that might be too soon. It's never too soon. No, seriously. No, seriously, it's never too soon. We long live the Queen, and she did. She did. But now it's long live the king. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. It was the statistic. It was uh, 80% of people in, in England had only ever known her as queen. Yeah. And it sounds strange to say, 
king, King Charles, King Charles it II. It sounds strange to say King it Charles. Does. Seventy right? years. We're here in the states, so we she don't. She reigned have to... seventy years. That's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. So that was yeah that happened recently and it, it just it, it we don't go by monarchy no so it's just but I'm fascinated by all of it yeah it's interesting I guess from an outside perspective it's yeah. I did a quiz one time we're going long I'm sorry but That's I have fine. to say the story really quick sure um, because I am a fan of the monarchy even though I don't live under their rule which I'm grateful for <laughs> um, <laughs> but no seriously. I, I am fascinated about them. And I did a quiz on Facebook, one of those silly quizzes. And yes, I it was clickbait and I went for it. But basically what it was was whether or not I could have tea with the queen. I remember this. Yes. And I answered all of the questions right. Therefore, I am qualified to have tea with the queen. I remember things being slightly different. No, 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 no. I remember I remember that you took the quiz twice. No, 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 no. You took the quiz twice. <laughs> now, at the end of the second time, yes, you were qualified to have tea with the queen. Well, I knew the answers with the first one, but I just overthought them. Mm. So I went back and I changed them to what I originally was going to put. So when you're doing those multiple choice tests, people... The first one, that one that you feel in your gut, go with it. Yeah. It's usually if, the right one. If you don't know it. It's usually the right one. If you don't know it, go it. <laughs> <laughs> the look we just gave each other. I was like. I know where I was going. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. We, okay, should, we, we got to wrap up. Wrap this up. So, anyway. Uh, again, thank you everybody out there. Please continue to go to porternotes.com. Listen to the podcast. Please rate and review the podcast whatever you are whatever platform you are using to listen to our podcast if it's apple podcasts uh, google if it's on iHeartRadio, spotify any one of those please go ahead and and rate and review it really goes a long way you can continue to follow us on instagram porter notes podcast on instagram that's my personal instagram but i do post a lot of things about the podcast on there too and it's wide open to the public so feel free uh, follow the podcast on facebook just go to porternotes.com all the links are there and make sure that you uh tell your friends about us please spread the word we really could benefit from that yes please so anyway until next time this is alex this is Lori. We'll see you then. Kindness and love. Where's the outline? I have it. I have it next to me. Can I see it? No. Why can't I see it? Because. You know, I I, 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 I rather like I rather like when we work with a with an outline, actually. Yeah, because it, it doesn't it, allow me to 
it's for me more than it is for you. Yeah, but it's helpful for me to know. No, because I love you. Yeah. Here's what you do. Then you just look at the outline and you're like, okay, next point, next point, next point. (laughs) I like it when it flows from point to point. So. And if you don't know, you naturally form like segues from one thing to the next. Mm. I I know that you do. So. Mm. 